right, in the previous talk, uh, two talks, we've talked about how welfare was once free in America, and we've talked about how that freedom was lost. Now I'd like to talk about how we can go about getting it back. We have to end our personal dependence on the welfare state. Social Security is a problem, but it doesn't have to be a trap. But this means we need to learn and to plan for our own financial securities, our own futures privately, uh, while we plan to phase out the system over time. The issue here is that welfare of all forms should be privately funded, should be privately insured, and not supported through taxation. Family, church, private charity, these things can replace the welfare state. And again, we'll have to learn to refuse the benefit. Don't take the cheese. And of course, this also means personal sacrifices and discipline, but we can do this with effort. Now, a lot of people talk about phasing out or privatizing Social Security, but few of these people actually present any details. And as far as I've seen, and I've been all over the internet, there's only been one person publishing anything like a serious, comprehensive plan on how to phase out Social Security. And while that plan, I think, has some great ideas, it has one particular deep flaw, which is that in trying to minimize the pain for the dependent generation and those who have already paid in for many, many years, it takes 40 years to completely phase it out. And that's just not reasonable. It's not reasonable to expect people to take progressive cuts in their benefits over that long period of time without complaining. And thus, it's even more reasonable, or, or more unreasonable, I should say, to expect politicians to stay the course on a painful and unpopular program, at least unpopular with its beneficiaries. Uh, for the course of what would be 10 presidential terms and about 20 congressional elections, it'll just never happen. So whatever happens first needs to include very quick, very substantial, very decisive actions. And uh, that's true for political changes. It's also true for private changes, which will obviously come first for most of us. Before we go much further discussing the practical steps in this area, I want to drive home this point of the immoral nature of the system and why it has become so much of a problem for us. Okay, the first thing is that Social Security is not a retirement program or anything like a savings program at all. It's, it is simply not the case, and the Social Security Administration states this very clearly itself. We are not paying into a fund that is designated in our name so that we can draw from that fund in the future. Okay, it has the facade of appearing to be that, and it's often talked about in those terms, but it is legally and practically not that. Okay, I want to share with you an exchange that took place recently between a reporter and a man named David Walker. Walker was the, the uh, Comptroller General of the United States for 10 years, overseeing all matters relating to all federal public funds. And then he went on to head up the Peterson Foundation, which specializes in bringing public awareness to the looming collapse of the Social Security system and Medicare system. So if anybody understands this system, it's this guy. And I want you to hear how candidly he describes the Social Security system. 
in light of the fact that it probably will collapse, and in fact it's already in the red, this reporter asks a question. She asks this, is the Social Security program fair to younger workers? Okay. And, and, uh, and, and Walker answered with this. He says, the way to look at it, rather than young versus old, is really income level. The Social Security system is designed to provide a better deal for workers who make less money because the replacement ratio that you receive compared to your earnings is much higher for low-income workers than for higher-income workers. Okay. Now, the reporter, uh, she was no dummy. Um, she realized that he had evaded the question to begin with, and she pounced on the answer and what he was actually saying. And in effect, she noticed that his answer was actually even worse than what she was trying to get at. And so she responds with this question. So it sounds that Social Security sounds unfair to both younger workers and high-income workers. And that's when Walker makes the outright admission. And this is what he says, quote, Social Security is not an investment program. You shouldn't look at it as a rate of return. It's intended to provide a safety net of retirement income. By definition, it's structured so lower wage workers will get a higher relative benefit. So, by definition, there's an element of transfer payment. When people look at this as, give me the money and I'll invest and do better, well, it depends on what your income level is. Middle and upper incomes would do better because it would eliminate the subsidy to the lower income. But that's not what the program is. I hear young people saying, I'm not getting a good deal. Well, that's technically right, but it doesn't reflect the nature of what Social Security is. End of quotation. So there we have a major government official who oversaw the program, who's now an activist in regard to reforming the program, openly admitting that the program is unfair to both younger payers and middle and upper income payers. It is, in his own words, not a retirement program, not an investment program, but a wealth transfer program. And of course, as a wealth transfer program is, for the net losers in that transfer anyway, anyway uh, it's just the opposite of a savings program. It is, in fact, for those people, a losings program, or we should say it's an unrecuperated tax. So for us, instead of thinking of Social Security as some kind of an investment program, as some kind of a fund we're paying into on which we're entitled to draw in the future, we need to see it for what it really is. It's a tax now scheme, a tax now, uh, I should say tax now, spend now scheme. We're going to tax you now and spend it on others now. Okay? Not a penny of what you pay in now will be put into a fund that will collect interest and there will, will be there when you need it. Not a single penny. And this is not only because the system is losing money and will probably be bust when you get to that age, but because the system was never designed that way to begin with. Okay. What you pay now goes 100% to pay for elderly and other people now. And the promise is, is then given that when you get old, 
When you get to the proper age, then the government will then collect from other young people to pay for you. Okay, it's not a savings, it's a tax and spend wealth transfer by government coercion. There is no fund, only a gun pointed at workers, forcing them to pay for a retired generation. Social Security is the government's promise to tax young people on behalf of old people over 65. It is an intergenerational wealth transfer scheme and the cost to the older generation for this agreement is that they were once taxed uh, having a portion of their income transferred to the older uh, generation. So in essence, the younger, younger advocate today is saying to the government, I agree to pay taxes for old people now if you agree to extract money at gunpoint on my behalf in the future. So, as I've said several times now, it's a wealth transfer system, and it's sustained by self-interest of the retirees based on threats of violence. Now, this understanding is very important, especially important when we begin to talk about phasing out or ending the system. So many people get nervous and upset, but I've paid so much into the system. I want my fair share back out. But of course, this assumes that the system is a savings plan and not a tax and spend transfer scheme. Okay? What you've paid all of your life is nothing but a tax, a recurring tax, no matter what else they officially name it. What you are said to be entitled to is not your money. What you are said to be entitled to is the promise of future taxation on the backs of your children and grandchildren and other people's children and grandchildren, depending on the scenario and your income level and a few other things. So instead of having an actual entitlement to actual assets, you have an alleged entitlement to the government's ability to tax the younger generation. And that ability is growing weaker and weaker as time goes on for more than one reason. So we have to get into the mindset that we have not been saving for ourselves. We have been robbed on behalf of other people. Okay? This is not saved money. It is lost money. Now, any attempt to fix this immoral system is inevitably going to involve someone somewhere taking a financial hit. And more likely it will be everyone to some degree taking a hit. Sacrifice is inevitable if we want to fix that system. And like all of the financial crises which have threatened government with uh, bankruptcy in the past, the longer we wait to make the necessary sacrifice, the more and, and more painful that sacrifice will become. So we have to prepare for it, and we have to prepare, prepare for it now. If you want to have a free society, okay, if you want to have a free society, you have to plan to be free of government control in the area of old age and welfare, and this means we have to plan now to replace that system with private options, not just privatized options, that are still largely under the control of the government, but fully private, fully voluntary options. Now, there are two ways to aim at this. Either completely abolish the system immediately, or do so over a period of time, whether sooner or later, preferably sooner, in steps. Now, if we ab abolish it immediately, we will certainly cause widespread hardship for those people who are entirely dependent on the system 
but if we do so gradually, we also risk never truly breaking free from the system. Now, although I think the gradual option is probably the better of the two, practically speaking, uh, that is only true as long as it's done definitively and quick. And the best way to ensure its success, I think, will be to make the primary immediate goal to be uh, to allow people to opt out of the system. And with the choice to exclude themselves, they will not be allowed to draw benefits, but most importantly, they will be exempt from the taxation that is for the system. Okay? This is the main step forward to a free society, the option to get out of the system if you want to. But this freedom will require sacrifices, both material sacrifices and psychological, in the meantime, before we get to that goal. These uh, sacrifices, I think, pertain especially to the things we can do now. And so on that front, here's my advice. The first thing you need to do is to plan, personally, financially, for yourself. Plan as if you will receive nothing from Social Security ever. Pretend as if it already doesn't even exist, it's gone bust, you've lost everything you've put into it, even though it does exist out there. Okay. That decision will involve planning financially and planning mentally for personal sacrifice. Now, planning financially is a no-brainer. You simply begin to save money at a rate that will allow you to have substantial resources, in fact, adequate resources, set aside in the day that you need it. Notice I didn't say when you retire, because retirement and elderly need are two different things. You've got to have a large nest egg, and that means saving and investing a substantial percentage of your income now, from as early as your life, in your life as possible. You have to create a financial independence for yourself for the day that you're no longer able to work so that we can now erase the need for dependence on the government system. You erase that dependence completely, and with it, uh, well, uh, you, you replace it with uh, personal independence. So you get rid of the dependence, replace it with independence. By making ourselves and our families independent of the need for Social Security first, we can then begin to delegitimize the program. Okay, if we average people can prove we don't really need that system, and that means most average people don't really need that system, and which means most people in general don't need that system. And in turn, that means that only a small percentage of people truly do need some form of wealth transfer in their old age in order just to have, uh, well, survival or even a modest lifestyle. But once we reach that point, we're talking about an entirely different social circumstance. Okay? Small cases like that can easily be met by private charity, by families, businesses, churches, whatever. And of course, Paul tells us to do this in 1 Timothy anyway. All right, this means we don't need a government-run program at all. And therefore, we should dismantle it and end the taxation that sustains it. So through self-discipline, through self-sacrifice, self-funding, private charity, we can delegitimize the system even while it exists and delegitimizing the system will create the political will and the circumstances necessary to abolish the system. But making that first step uh, for ourselves is a little bit easier said than done. Okay? It means major sacrifice for most people. 
because we've unconsciously trusted in the system as the means for old age security. And therefore, we have not saved money, we have not saved wealth at a rate anywhere near high enough to sustain our own lives when the time comes. Most people, based on that government promise, save very little at all beyond a 401k contribution, which is usually little more than a couple of percent. And yet, if people actually sat down and calculated, based on their life expectancy and their lifestyle and standardized inflation and all those things, the amount of money they will actually need in their old age, they would see a tremendous disparity between what they have and what they're going to need. And that doesn't even count things like uh, money set aside for an emergency, you know, temporary unemployment, auto accident, whatever, you name it. Um, in a proper scenario, people should be saving at least 20% of their income regularly. Some people say 25 at least. Okay, Putting that money back in a safe investment for future needs. But that would be a major change for most people, a huge financial cut into their lifestyle. Because what most people uh, do, while they should be saving, and instead are not saving, they're currently spending that money and even borrowing beyond that to the maximum amounts possible. So while people have neglected to save, they've simultaneously bought the biggest house possible, usually with 95 or 100, sometimes 100 plus percent mortgages, the best cars they can afford with what money they have left, and all the perks beyond that, $100 a month cable TV plans, you know, and nice appliances, everything, much, much more. And much of the investment that goes into these areas is mortgaged and sometimes it's second mortgaged, many times on credit cards, and people are stuck in these investments. They, even if most people do see the evils of maxed out living, millions of people are now upside down in their mortgage. They couldn't sell their house for anywhere near what they bought it for, and thus they would have a great difficulty transitioning into a lifestyle of thrift and saving because the very burdens uh, by which they have maxed themselves out to begin with uh, prevent them from doing so. It's a trap. It's a self-set, self-sprung trap. And becoming independent and free will mean major lifestyle sacrifice, perhaps seemingly impossible for some people, to start saving a large percentage of their income towards the goal of old age security. How could it be done? Well, the first thing you have to do is set your mind on that personal sacrifice. And this relates to my second piece of advice, which is that you have to prepare not only materially, but mentally. Okay. Whether we phase out Social Security over time, or whether we do it uh, immediately, whether it collapses, goes bust overnight, as some people predict, nearly all people are going to take a financial hit in some way. Now, before that time comes, those of us who wish to decentralize political power, to take personal responsibility, to restore freedom, we have to accept the fact that we're going to lose. We're going to lose at least some money in that system because of that system. Okay, You're going to get robbed, and the cash is going to be gone forever. So accept it, get over it, move on. But that sacrifice is short term the long-term gain we get for that short-term sacrifice is the freedom and the independence that we say we want. Okay? The time to prepare for a better way of life 
both morally and practically, is now. Mentally forfeiting and foregoing all alleged future benefits will help us train our minds to accept a lifestyle of thrift and sacrifice in general. And that mental preparation will get us over the initial hump of beginning to plan and beginning to cut back, beginning to, to try to have an independent financial future, but it will also help us sustain that worldview as we carry that new vision out into day by day and you know, it begins to get monotonous and tough. From that mentality then, we begin voluntarily to trim and to pare down our lifestyles to more conservative and viable proportions. And that's a major step for most people. Now for the person who has simply refused to save anything to date, whose mortgage and their lifestyle are maxed out their income or more, and they don't have any pretense of trying to cut back, okay, that person needs a tremendous personal accounting and cutting back. Now, if, if, let me back up just a little bit. If you're one of those people who has gotten into that situation, okay, you really need to take a, a serious personal accounting. You need to sit down and take a scalpel to your budget and it needs to be ruthless. Okay? You need to ask yourself, do you really need all the appointments? You need the pool membership, the gym membership, the new clothing all the time, new shoes, new jewelry, new TVs, new gadgets, uh, expensive food, eating out, shopping all the time, expensive lattes every morning. Uh, the list is infinite. Hundreds if not thousands of dollars are spent every month on unnecessary consumption. And most spending on consumer items is irredeemable. Okay? It's wealth that is spent and then it's gone forever rather than invested. So the capital is lost and any interest that would have been gained by investing the capital is also forfeited. Now meanwhile, many of these same people rest assured that they're going to retire someday, maybe even sooner than later, at least partially on Social Security, which is taxation on the younger generation. In other words, they live their lives to the max now, they give no thought for the future, they live off government coercion in the end. Now for anyone who accepts that arrangement and refuses to change in the meantime, I have no sympathy. I have no desire to help them, and frankly, I consider it immoral that anyone should ever be t taxed to sustain those gluttonous, careless people in their old age. I mean, it's immoral to tax people for that purpose in general. It's grossly immoral when it's done in these cases of these self-indulgent people. You tell me, why in the world should anyone living a maxed out, debt-ridden, gluttonous lifestyle be entitled to one penny of taxes taken from anyone else for their retirement. Right? I understand there are genuine charity cases in the poorest of the poor and the truly vulnerable, and those cases I said earlier we can easily remedy. But don't tell me that it's moral, necessary, right, to tax anyone for the benefit of someone else who's squandered their entire income all their life, never saved a penny, and lived as high a lifestyle as they could along the way. No one owes that person anything. And in fact, they deserve to reap the benefits of their own immoral lifestyle. They should live the latter part of their lives in financial distress as a punishment, compensating for their earlier wastefulness. If you want social justice, that's social justice.
Now, in the meantime, uh, for those who have currently entrapped themselves in debt and wasteful living, if they wish to rise out of it, uh, they need to commit both mentally and in practice to cutting back. And depending on how they choose to perform in that endeavor, uh, their own financial future will manifest accordingly. So in other words, if they're really serious about it, they will take the steps necessary and they'll save the money. And this really applies to all of us. We all need to make plans. We all need to make cuts and return to a level of lifestyle that allows us to save money, to purchase private insurance, to put ourselves in a position either to demand the freedom from the government system or to live freely when it collapses. In other words, if we're really serious about freedom, if we're really serious about breaking free from the government control in our old age, in our savings, in our inheritance, then we will make the sacrifices in order to prepare to do so. The way forward is to delegitimize the government wealth transfer system by replacing it with a genuine private savings and retirement system. And this means, uh, or I should say the means to do this is through personal sacrifice, responsibility, thrift, saving, and a public demand for individual freedom. And only once we have exercised the discipline will we have the legitimate political demand to be removed from the system. Okay? This has to start with those of us who value freedom. We have to make the sacrifice expecting nothing in return until we can form enough of a base to demand exemption from the system and an option of freedom for all those who choose to live free. Now there's already a precedent for this in certain religious communities, notably the Amish community and some of the Mennonites. Due to their resistance to the changes in Social Security Code back in the 60s, in 1961, they received a legal exemption from the system, both from the program and from the taxation for the program. And they received that exemption because they already had a viable independent system in place. And on top of that, they had the religious convictions against being uh, involved in a coercive government scheme. But the legislative changes at that time were worded so that the exemption only applies to those groups. And, and, and so it was very limited, but it doesn't have to be that way. What I'm saying is that there's no reason that that legal language should remain so restrictive. Okay? There's no reason the exemption couldn't be extended to anyone with religious convictions against public insurance, especially if we have a viable system in place for ourselves already. Okay? Now that's a very serious thought to consider as a future goal. A very similar approach should be taken uh, to medical insurance, and in fact it already has been in many cases, for everyone including the elderly. Now this is more difficult than simply savings, Saving money in the face of taxation is one thing, but the effects of Medicare upon the insurance industry for people over 65 makes uh, opting out of it a very tough choice. Private plans, if you can find one, run around $2,000 a month premiums, which makes it tough for most people. And even then, most plans don't even cover anything that Medicare will cover. So you're really in a tight place if you're over 65. But there are already private Christian sharing programs that are very affordable and very effective. 
in covering all health care costs. And since they're not insurance programs, they're not regulated by the government and they are exempted from many government controls, including specifically Obamacare. So these are the types of private systems uh, that can provide us examples and provide us a viable way of moving forward on those issues. Now, as I said, Medicare is, 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 is tough. Uh, Medicare is currently only provided for people who are taking Social Security benefits, and a judge has recently ruled that if you opt out of Medicare, it means that you must also forfeit your Social Security benefits, including all benefits that have been paid previously. So there's a significant financial cold water in the face for anyone over 65 who wants to try to opt out. But the main things here are that we put ourselves in a position of moral and financial high ground, that we make the mental preparations to abandon government dependence despite the losses we may incur. And then we start the planning, the cutting, the downsizing, saving for our own retirement. Start now. Uh, with your own life insurance arrangements while you're young, while you can lock in cheap rates. And only with that first step in place, I think, will we have a really good shot at gaining legal exemption from the corrupt system of taxation and wealth transfer. Now, there's a more radical approach we can take. Uh, the more radical approach would be that we demand immediate exemption from the system and if we're successful in attaining, in attaining that, that would also be good. It would mean that we're now immediately facing the situation without the government safety net in which we have to immediately begin providing for ourselves uh, in, in the face of that uh, missing safety net. So that might itself act as the motivation for the tough changes in psychology and in lifestyle that we've talked about. Tough decisions sometimes require tough motivation and that would certainly be the case. Okay. Uh, but ab abolishing the system immediately, as I said, would also mean very large-scale social need for millions of people already dependent on the system, uh, and they would have to scramble immediately to find some source of income, possibly many without families or church communities, and so there would definitely be social need. I think if that were the case, if for some great miracle that happened, uh, there would probably be riots from large groups of people demanding what they see as money they've paid into the system and therefore entitled to, uh, there, would, there would definitely be riots. Uh, the better approach, I think, is simply to work toward the freedom to opt out of the system, both its taxes and its benefits. And that would be the beginning of the end of the system. So uh, how do we get the freedom back? In summary, the best way to do so is twofold. First, the immediate personal effort uh, to plan, to save, to change lifestyle in order to meet our own needs of our own old age and have our own security in that. And that is despite the system still existing. Pretend that it doesn't exist and that all taxes are paid in, that we've paid in, are stolen, they're lost, which they really are. Okay, refuse all future entitlements galvanize your mind against the bribery of the promises. Okay? That delegitimizes the system. It earns us the moral high ground. It, then from there we can demand the freedom from the system. So, and secondly, uh, we have to aim politically at making that demand for political freedom as broad and as public as we can. And we can even 
seek to elect or to erect local and state political protections against federal intrusion to our payrolls. I mean, those are all viable options. Now, I would like to make one important point as I near my closing. Uh, the freedom of opting out of the system that I'm talking about working toward, gaining the moral high ground from which to make the demand, that freedom already exists. Okay? We can legally, morally, rightly make the political man to be, to be free from that system right now without having made any other preparations or progress toward it. We have the right to be free from that system. And I don't want it to be misconstrued that I'm saying that right won't exist until we prepare ourselves mentally and financially. It exists now, and we can and should announce it from every street corner and in every election. But what I've outlined here is a more practical approach uh, to getting to that, uh, to making that right manifest in society. And by putting our efforts with our demand, we create a very, very powerful witness in society. And whether we succeed politically or not in the near term, we will in effect make ourselves financially independent of that federal system of taxation and redistribution. And if enough people do that, for themselves, we will see two things emerge in society. The first, we will see a growing awareness of the situation. As people who take responsibility for themselves begin to make a visible block of society, begin to influence other people, spread the word, create a real community, a real social ethic of independence. And from that emergence, secondly, we will see very quickly that these communities that emerge and manifest just happen to be concentrated in certain areas of the country. And they will be widespread in the more conservative areas, the so-called red counties and red states, uh, which are the vast majority of counties in the nation. And when that happens, we may just begin to see our local communities and our counties and perhaps even entire states flex their muscles and protect their people politically and physically from federal intrusions. And that is the ideal to which we're going to work. We, we want to work. But the best way to make this happen is to begin to prepare yourself financially and psychologically to be independent, as if the system already does not exist, and you sacrifice what they take in the meantime. Only by that sacrifice and that preparation will we have a real shot at restoring a free society. Thank you.